Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Today, we will be talking about Imbolc, the time when spring first begins to stir, though the days are still cold. The light is coming back. The promise of warmth is coming back. These are sacred times held deeply in the womb of the mother, still sleeping, but soon to awake. These are her stories. My story is about the birth of Bridget, or Brija, as I will be calling her. And Bridget is a goddess who's very much associated with Imbolc. It was a really good day for the cow. Her lady owner had rubbed her fiery red ears with a scrap of silk and given her the freshest of the oats and grains, always contented and happy with the rays of the sun shining on her, with plentiful milk for her calf. Today she was happy. Her lady owner, the fay woman from the nearby mound, had sung a little song crooning into her ears that before the day was out, she would be blessed beyond words. The cow mooed and moved her head from side to side with big soft eyes smiling back at her. Alfand, the fairy, placed a flowering garland around her neck tied with a ribbon of yellow and white and led her to the apple grove to wait until she was needed. The calf frisked about in the green grasses. Not far away, on the surface, in a hall across the common land, a voice was heard shrieking curses that frightened the rooks from the trees and set the ravens crying with their own guttural voices. The servants, running back and forth with cans of heated water, teas and compresses for the laboring mother, had pieces of wool and wax stuffed into their ears for fear of the curses she was calling down from the air, the earth, and the sunfire itself. Her husband, the Dagda, was trying to soothe her and holding her hands. She cursed him steadily, which curses he steadily bound to the ground with his own words and gestures. This had been going on all night and into the day. The floor of the richly appointed birthing room began to smell of singed wood. Calm yourself, woman, the dog just said, trying to stroke her arm. You'll harm the child or yourself with all your thrashing about. You'll be bringing the doom down on these poor people trying to help you. The Morrigan screeched something at him that caused the midwife's ears to burn as red as the fairy cows. He laughed and kept stroking her arm and lending her his strength. Giving birth is tricky at best, and his woman was not in the least maternal. Milady, breathe, implored the midwife. Help the baby along. The Morgan opened her mouth to curse again, but was stopped by an abrupt kiss. 
He kept his face close to her and said, The Druid auguries are all good for this child and for you. This is labor for you, true enough, but you birth into the world a child our people need. To the midwife, he said, Let us bring in the water woman from the pool. Too many elements of fire are here together with mother and child. Let us cool them down. The midwife sent her apprentice to fetch the water fairy. The Dagda could feel her before she was halfway across the commons to the hall. Her presence was cool, silvery, and soothing. She was dressed in whispering silk of watery hues of silver and grayish blue. The midwife met her at the door, explaining the need, offering her a linen apron to wear, and the Dagda watched her closely. The Morgan was somehow soothed by her presence, beginning now to moan, contractions finally lessening for a time. The water fairy removed a comb from her satchel and a tiny pot of oil that released a fragrance of hyssop and rose when opened. She carefully oiled the comb and let the Morgan know that she was going to comb out her hair and undo any knots, tangles, and bindings. The Morrigan's raven black hair was matted into elf locks and worry knots, and the fairy gently combed the tangles out, murmuring all the while. Oh, poor you, she said, all tangled up and worrying about the child that's a she, and what kind of mother will you be, sharing the dogda with a tiny child when your longing is to be truly wild. The Morgan began whimpering as the contraction subsided. I see that help is coming for you and he in a wee white cow of the good she. The Morgan was calming and quieting under the hands of the fairy. She used the oil to wipe down her limbs and then finally her great belly. She drew out another vial and began to paint symbols on her of vines and feathers on her limbs spirals on her brow and belly, and then rays of light shining from a cross-quartered sun. The sun on the great belly began to glow with light, and she went on murmuring as she painted. This loosened up energy knots which had twined together from the two powers of father and mother converging and becoming something entirely different in the child. The midwife watched intently and found that her own hands were beginning to move in the pattern the fairy's hands were making over the mother. The fairy nodded to her and said, yes, that's it. Among us, magic can create difficulties in birth times. We never know exactly what kind of gifts our children will have that come from our powers or of those who have gone before us. She's a strong one fire and earth, not so much of her mother's air, but will give her the gift of water, and it will be a blessed three. The Dagda grunted in appreciation, just as the auguries said. I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. This one's gestation has weakened her mother, not her fault that her magic was literally hard for her mother to bear. She stroked the black tresses of the Morrigan. You've done a brilliant work of crafting and holding this wee child. Look, we can see her head crowning now. In just a little bit, the final effort, my dark dear.
then you can be free. With a long searching look at the Dagda, she said finally, we'd like to raise her in our own world. She needs what we have to offer and this one, gesturing to the Morrigan who is starting to strain with the final contractions, will not bond entirely with her. Not anyone's fault, but purely about the deepest nature within. The Morgan gripped the Dogda's hand and looked beseechingly into his eyes. She speaks the truth, my own heart. He wiped the sweat from her brow and said, I know, heart of my own, I know. That too was part of the prophecy. Satisfied, the Morgan turned to the great task at hand and called on the wild strength within her that was left to her after all these months. She summoned the deep power of earth and sky and pushed with all her considerable might. In a maelstrom of cries, blood, and finally light, the work was done. The babe was born. After all was given birth to and the Morgan's work was done, the fairy wrapped the mother in the softest gown after washing her clean. The midwife tidied things up and washed the child, swaddling her in soft clothes. The child, a girl, looked perfect in the light that emanated from around her head of chestnut curls. Her expression was sweet, and her first breath was deep as her chest rose, drawing in and in, and then she let go with a shriek that split the air and rent the worlds. Spiraling doorways open to the dead and to the souls coming into life. The Dagda jumped up and closed them quickly before any spirits came through, saying, that whale definitely comes from you. The Morgan laughed and accepted the baby, her tiny head wreathed in rays of light. I'll nurse you for a score of days, and then with this lady you will go, my Brija. Brija looked intently into her mother's eyes and grabbed a fistful of raven hair. The birthright of the freedom to be who she was was a gift she would come to cherish. A wee white cow is waiting for you, my heart, sang the fairy. Her red ears will bring you fire, her white coat the purity, and her loving gaze the heart, for she is the heart of this land. As good a milk mother as any could ever have to bring you the magic of this land. The Morgan's eyes closed, gentling into the moment with the child, but deep inside, aware, her heart was of the air. Meantime, the wee white cow dreamt in the ancient apple grove of the child to come. Well, thank you. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Completely loved it. And I loved the thought of the Morrigan giving birth. The maternal Morrigan was a great thought for me. I really appreciated it. Thank you. It's lore. It's part of the lore. But yes, same for me, too. <laughs> I also absolutely loved the story and felt that it was truly transporting into that moment and into the moment of birth and moving through that dark canal into the light. And I am so thrilled that the Morrigan's response to this labor was to curse viciously. 
<laughs> it seems most fitting as if she was carrying the burdens and pain of all the women that have gone through that. I found that really liberating and empowering. And to have a match of a man to hold that with her, I thought was incredible. Bridja has come from the world of two magical beings into herself in a way that is unique and so blessed. I felt honored that the Morgan would allow or or show me in some way this time, which is a very vulnerable time for her. And so it was quite beautiful, but also it was beautiful to see these two very different beings, the Morgan and the Dagda and their relationship, and that they had room for themselves to be themselves and for Brija to be herself too. And the intervention from the Fae, from the other world too, is very much the part of Bridget's lore, that she was raised there. And yeah, it was great, great to spend time with them. I love the opening of the gates that the child with her unhinged abilities was opening not yet contained. I, I love that and really felt that that that's probably what it would be like when a goddess or a god is born. Things are open wildly. And it's good that there's somebody there to hold them down. It's really an exquisite view into the birth of magic and so much meaning around that goddess and the, the calling of the land essentially and the calling of women because she really is such a patron of, of women and women's work and work, the blessed work. And it's beautiful to be in the moment when it all came to be, it came to be her. And she does have a reputation for being um, a patron of midwives, but also of those who are the death doulas also, as well as being a smith, which I think is fantastic. Blessed one. Blessed fire of Bridja. And I do adore the fairy as well. Yes, the fairy was lovely. It was a very good thing they were there. Who knows what would have happened if they were not? <laughs> very different lore. <laughs> right. Well, it's an interesting switch too, because so often the lore talks about the difficulty of the fairy birth and the human midwife is often the one sought to help. That felt like a nice link in some way of, you know, having the knowledge of what it can be like for magic with a fae and what it could be like for magic with gods, a god and a goddess and their child. And with that, it would seem that whoever is the other holds the key to the other world. That is such a big part of birth and death. So I love that even more now with the understanding that people would attend to fae births, just like the fae would attend to god births because they're of yet another world. Love it. Thank you. Extra power. Very beautiful. Well, and for another story about Imbolc, Gabriella? I'd be delighted. My story is about Imbolc, though, from my part of the world where I come from, from Poland. It's referred to as the 
the Mary of the Gromnitsa candle or the thunder candle. It was the heart of winter, the hope of spring staring like a sleeping bird deep inside, but not visible yet on the frozen ground, nor in the cold air or chilling winds. People stayed at home mostly, huddled together at the kitchen tables, going through the last of their autumn harvest reserves. Soups and stews made from hearty root vegetables were common meals these days, baked breads and dried meats too. It has been a hard winter, cold and blustery, and it thinned the forest in a way that didn't offer the usual rabbit or squirrel that would be such a nourishing addition to the family table. People longed for warmth and for spring, growing tired and restless. Today was February 2nd, and the sacred eve of the Blessed Mother of Gromnitsa, or the Thunder Candle, would be celebrated. Candles blessed at church on this eve were deeply sacred. It was believed that on this night, Mother Mary's power of protection would extend to keep people safe from thunders, fires, and other disasters. The days growing longer at this time of the year meant the triumph of light over darkness. Everyone from the village would be making their journey to the chapel as soon as dusk would begin to cloak behind the forest line of trees. Everybody was eager to receive the blessing and protection of the Mother Mary on this night. Yannick, the beekeeper, lived alone. His house was the last one on the road closest to the forest and set a little further back from the rest of his neighbors. This suited him just fine. Yannick never married, didn't have a family, except for a nephew who lived in a nearby village who would come visit every summer and learn about beekeeping from his uncle. It's not that Yannick didn't like people or had anything against them, and he certainly adored his nephew but it had more to do with the people around him who carried judgments about his living alone, talking to bees and other creatures that lived in the forest. They wouldn't say anything to him exactly, for they always wanted to buy his honey, which was the best not only in his own village, but for many around. But he could feel that people would talk about him behind his back when they gathered together. He could see a hesitation and nervousness in their expressions when they had to interact with him or talk with him at church. He didn't mean to make them uneasy, but somehow it was just that way. Especially now that he was in his older years, his eyes and ears attuned to the elements of nature and her songs made it difficult to get along with other people. He didn't understand their lives, and they certainly didn't understand his. And there is a fear in people, those who like to gather and talk about those that don't, like Yannick. He is so strange living in that house all by himself, they would say. Who does he talk to out there by the woods? I've seen him talking to the trees and who knows what else. No wonder he never married. No woman would allow him his strange musings. They would laugh and embellish stories about him. These were the younger people who needed stories about the old, the strange, and the wild, somehow feeling that they had to move out of the old and into the new, more contained world, where they could be the masters and binders of nature. A silly notion, of course, for there is no such thing as mastering nature or the wild. But maybe one day, when they got to be his age, they would understand. Yannick looked out the window that faced his neighbor's house and squinted his eyes. 
It appeared that that family was gathering to head out for church, which cued him to gather his sheepskin coat and wool hat. He waited a few minutes and watched as the family was further up the road before he left his home. He liked being the last one walking, not having to partake in the chatter of his neighbors, though today it was so cold that folks kept their talking to a minimum as they huddled deep into their scarves, which were pulled over their mouths. Yannick observed the crowd ahead and noticed a strange nervous feeling rising above them. Attention and seriousness. It was not unusual for Yannick not to be included in the happenings of the village, so it was likely that something might have occurred to make people so tense, but he did not know what it was. The church was a humble wooden building with a pitched roof big enough to seat 40 people. Yannick, being the last one to enter, was able to sneak in unnoticed and take the last empty bench closest to the door. He took a moment to settle in and get accustomed to the many bodies now so close to him, listening to the whispers they exchanged amongst themselves. Indeed, they were anxious. His hearing was very good, even in his old age, so he could make out most of the words, even though they were quietly uttered. I saw him last night pacing behind the house, his eyes red like a devil, unnatural. I lost two chickens the other day. I don't think they would have just wandered off. The beast must have attacked them. I am scared for my little ones. With the creature coming so close, you never know what might happen. Something must be done. Yannick listened, saddened. Without a doubt, they were talking about a wolf. It seemed that during the hardest of winters, an old wolf, hungry and frail, would sometimes come close to the village and make people uncomfortable. Rarely would the animal attack, but people were so eager to make accusations and give reasons to hunt and kill the poor beast, as if killing of a wolf would make the winter easier, warmer, and bring back the sun sooner somehow. The sermon the priest gave fueled the fears of the crowd, he was a new priest from a bigger town who was happy to have a chapel of his own. He was young, confident, and loved to hear himself talk. The wolf is more than a wolf, my good people, the priest exclaimed in an authoritarian voice, pleased by the nervous faces peering with great faith into his own. An auspicious night brings us to gather here together and share our findings of an encroaching darkness still clinging to the land. This time it comes as a wolf, but it is so much more. People nodded and exchanged confirming glances. Yana grew more nervous as the priest went on. Let us pray. Let us lift our hearts into the light of Mother Mary, Mother of Christ, protector from wolves and devils. Lift your candles. Let them absorb this light so it can guide you through the night and keep you from evil. Let us test our faith in the power of the light by going out this eve to find the beast and protect ourselves. Keep the candles lit on your way home. Do not let the lights go out. People took out their candles and raised them high as instructed by the priest. Mother, bless this candle with your kindness, with your compassion and understanding, so the light of your love can be known to every creature and every heart, even mine. Yannick whispered to the candle under his breath, his intentions pure and strong as he lit the wick, recalling an old story about Mother Mary of Winter as a protectress of wolves and other creatures from the ill wishes of people. Maybe on this night she would hear his prayer 
for the wilderness and maybe something would be different. Maybe the villagers would leave the wolf be. Yannick departed the church before the rest of the people, driven by the desire to get home before the dark fully set in. He walked as fast as his old form would allow, listening to the howling wind and bending branches around the road. Auspicious night, indeed, he thought as he clung to his lit candle and cradled his gloved hand around it, protecting it from the wind, which blew wildly around him. He stopped with his back against it, waiting for the worst of it to blow through. You must keep going. Your light will not go out. Yannick heard a voice, a woman's voice in his ear. Accustomed to hearing sounds and whispers around him in nature and near his bees, this didn't startle him. But it was most odd. Never before has he heard a full sentence and with such clarity and instructions. Without hesitation, he picked up pace again as the flame of his candle danced and fluttered, but remained strong and bright as the voice promised. Just a few more houses to pass, getting close to home now. Keep going, old man, you can do this, he thought to himself, careful not to make his labored breaths put out the light of the candle. After seeing his little house peek from around the bend of the road, he allowed himself to slow down and catch his breath. When he opened his fence, he heard the voice again. Do not go home, go behind it towards the woods. Interesting, Yannick thought, but didn't refuse and slowly walked towards the back of the house. It was pretty dark now. The light of the candle illuminated his immediate surroundings, but not much beyond. And yet he felt as if something in the forest was expecting him, waiting for him, like a dark sweet calling into his soul. He began to walk in that direction, as he got closer, the light shone on the snow in front of him, clearing his way, leading him to the low-hanging branches of a fir tree. First, he noticed the dark spots on the white snow, fresh like berries glistening in the light. Blood. It was blood without a doubt. He stopped, nervous, his heart beating. Do not be afraid, Yannick. You will not be harmed, he heard the voice again and carefully moved his candle around to show him what he was clearly meant to find here in the woods. He saw mangled matted fur, long thin legs, one of which was bleeding, a sharp, tired face and shiny eyes. A gray, skinny wolf was laying on his side with a back leg that was badly hurt, clearly by a trap. The animal flashed his sharp teeth in a terrifying snarl, and his eyes glowed in warning. Hush, I will not hurt you, friend, Yannick whispered as gently as he could. He placed his candle on the ground and took off his gloves. He slowly brought his bare hands closer to the wolf so the animal could smell him, sense him, and hopefully trust him too. The wolf loosened its snarl and coyly sniffed Yannick's hand. Its eyes glowing a little softer now showed more defeat than fury and also a deep sadness. He let Yannick gently touch his side and took a deep breath of relief that the touch was so reassuring and safe. A great sorrow gripped Yannick's heart and a little anger too. This wolf was old, hungry, too weak to escape the cruelty of mankind. He didn't deserve to die here or be hunted by the surely coming mob who would be led here following the blood trail from his wound. He had to do something. He would not abandon this creature. 
The only idea he had would surely damn him to the true cruelty from the villagers, but it had to be done. And he no longer cared about his fate, for he was also old and tired and too weak to give in to the cruelty of mankind. Wait here, I will be back, he told the wolf and headed towards his house as quickly as the thick snow covering the ground would allow. Since the animal was wounded, he couldn't possibly walk on his own. Yannick's best option was a blanket, which he had in his house. He prayed under his breath that he would be able to get the animal onto it somehow and that he would have the strength to drag him, but he didn't have much time to worry about that either. The wolf was still laying on his side when Yannick returned, and he gently lifted his head to observe the man who laid out the blanket on the ground next to him. Gently, he pulled the animal by his upper body and onto the blanket, a task which proved to be much easier than he imagined. He could feel the sharp ribs of the poor, skinny creature through his fur. Surely that's why he was so easy to lift and now drag through the snow. Looking back behind him, Yannick worried about the obvious trail in the snow that would lead the people to his home. But no matter, he hoped that the fast-falling snow would cover it and kept moving towards the house. Inside was lit brightly by the single flame of the thunder candle, which warmed his heart and spirit. Yannick had some fresh rabbit meat from earlier in the week, which he gave the animal to further put him at ease. The wolf gulped the meat with great vigor in no time. Good. He still has the energy to eat. Maybe there's hope that he will make it, Yannick thought. The wolf was panting out of exhaustion and desperation in the corner against the wall. He watched Yannick's every move nervously, his nose reading the air, taking in the strange indoor smells. The old man approached the animal with a bowl of water and pieces of cotton and some herbs, which he cleaned and dressed the bleeding leg with. It wasn't broken, thank God. The skin was torn as the animal wiggled itself loose from the metal teeth of the trap, but the leg might be okay. About an hour went by. The wolf fed with his leg wrapped, settled into a light sleep, his bony chest rising in deep breaths. Yannick sat at the kitchen table and anxiously looked at the road through the window, his heart beating wildly. What has he done? Not only will the animal be killed, for surely they will find him, but now Yannick, too, will be in danger. He looked at the sleeping beast again and felt that he did the absolute right thing, even if he was the only one who would see it that way. Sure enough, just as he expected, lights appeared in the distance, heading in his direction. About 20 men with torches and pitchforks, as well as a few women with their candles lit, would soon appear at his doorstep. We know he's there, old man. Open the door. We have come for the wolf, the villagers shouted loudly, their faces terrifying and twisted in the darkness and under the fires of their torches. Do not fear, Yannick, for I heard your prayer tonight. Bring your candle and go outside to face them, the woman's voice said louder now, bringing courage to old man Yannick. He did just as she said. With his candle in hand, he walked out of this house ready to face whatever accusations and worse awaited him. The priest was in the front. He glared at Yannick with surprising hatred for a man of the cloth. The animal inside is injured and frail, unable to harm anyone. I beg you, let him be, Yannick shouted, his voice shaking. You have a choice, old man. 
us the beast or defend him and forever be banned from our village, the priest shouted, urging the villagers to come closer. I choose to defend the wolf, for he has nowhere to go, and it's the right thing to do. Hear me, Yannick pleaded to no avail. The people came closer and closer still, the hot torches sparkling and crackling right above his head. Please, he whispered under his breath, a hot tear rolling down his face, feeling defeated terrified and broken. But nevertheless, he didn't let them in. He stood in the door with the thunder candle burning brightly as the villagers came closer yet. He lifted his arm as high as he could, and the light from the candle blazed so brightly that the people fell back, gasping and falling on each other. A great illumination as bright as the sun beamed all around him, and a shrouded woman emerged from the light. Some people fell to their knees, men took off their hats, others in great fear moved back, the priest being the first one to do so. My good people, do not harm the wolf, the shrouded woman said, and do not harm this dear old man, for he's the only one who heard the prayer of my sacred night. People began to cross themselves and cry, lifting their candles towards the light woman now realizing that it was Mother Mary herself that stood before them. I am the mother of all creatures, big and small, wild and gentle, and tonight I defend the wild and the old and the strange. If you let them be, I swear to you, they will not harm you, and I will always protect you and your children, she said, as people lowered their pitchforks and listened quietly illuminated by the glow of her divine love, softened into an understanding that now informed their hearts for as long as they would remember. For some time she stood there, her light growing softer and softer until it settled back fully into Yannick's candle. The people remained for a long time, stunned, changed, ecstatic, weeping. One by one, they approached Yannick and peered into his house to look at the wolf sleeping safely in the corner. And for the first time, they looked at Yannick too, fully able to meet his gaze unlike before, with great respect and honor he had never received. Seeing him, truly seeing him, maybe for the first time. He nodded at each person in reverence, holding back his tears. Once they all left and he was alone once again with the wolf, he wept like a small child. The light of his Gromnitsa candle illuminating every chamber of his wild, beautiful, and brave heart. The end. That was a lovely story. It was. It was beautiful. I was very grateful on behalf of the wolf. Yeah, I love the wolf in this story and the old man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I was curious about with the um, presence and apparition of Mary, what happened for the priest? He realized that the wolf was not the most dangerous darkness in the village, probably. Mm. I would hope that would be one of his realizations. That lore is about Mother Mary, the protector from thunder and from all these different natural things that would happen to people. But also, she's the defender of the wild. And the story came to me as a representation of that lore 
because that's one of the stories is that people are hunting wolves in the winter and she comes, Mary shows up and says to them, you must find the darkness in your own heart before you hunt the darkness of another. So it's this really beautiful way of turning that and that air of accusation or that air of rejecting that what is unknown. She's the defender of that in this story. And I'm always moved by that so deeply. Thank you for sharing that additional piece about the darkness in one's own heart. It didn't seem as though there was any in the man's heart. And amazing to come to that moment when he has to make a choice about who he is, who he really is, whatever the consequence might be. And then to be the one who becomes the host for a merry apparition, not to mention the blessing of at least two generations, too. Exactly. It's a story that shares such a beautiful glimpse of the lore um, from Poland and aspects of it that I'm not familiar with at all. And it's shown and told in such a beautiful way that take us into that night with the snow and the blood and the terror, the choices and the difficulty, and then the miracle. Certainly, the miracle is there. And that he just went with it. Whatever that voice was, he was just going with it. He's always listening to those voices and a beekeeper. So he's attuned to hearing what most people don't. What was it like for you to be with this story? It was really moving for me and really, I wouldn't say vulnerable, but a little. There is an element of rooting for the other and doing the right thing, even when it's really hard or dangerous. But more importantly, just defending under normal circumstances. If it was a healthy wolf, it might be a terrifying being. But under these circumstances, it's not. It's defenseless. So it becomes one that needs protection and tenderness. Yeah. I mean, defenseless, but even so, you know, when he knelt by that wolf and offered his hand... That wolf has a few defenses left. Very true. Yeah, I was a little nervous when he came back with the blanket about moving a hurt wolf onto a blanket. Mm-hmm. As always, it was incredibly beautiful, and I'm very grateful for it. And I wonder if there was a character you especially identified with. I certainly identified with Yannick. And as a matter of a fact, I... I chose a name that was my grandfather's name. My grandfather, who was known to bring home wild animals on his walk home. <laughs> um, stray dogs, squirrels, owls. So I, I was thinking of him tonight. And he was also a person that was not understood by most. So I connect with that though I've never met him. He died way before I was born, but my favorite stories about him are those of what wild creatures he brought home that no one else could touch but him. Mm. That's lovely. Thank you. Yeah, it makes it even more special. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for letting me share this story. And C, we would love to hear your story. Why, thank you. Imbolc? Yes, he says, standing in the field that had failed to produce anything more than small rocks for the last two years. Imbolc. He's giving me that look again. Either I don't know what it means, or I don't want to know what it means, but I don't want to know which. Wasn't that the village we raided last year? One before. That's different then. I can see why we'd want to crash their party now. Not crashing, observing. We're going to a celebration and hiding in the bushes. I'm hoping for soft logs. Did you at least pack some snacks? There's the look. I'll pack some snacks in the pantry off the main hall. I put a few flatbreads, some salted herring, cheese, and carrots in my backpack, then head for the stables. He leans on the fence post, an enormous mare's head resting on his shoulder, nearly obscuring his crossed arms. I run to hug her before leaping on, filling my fists with her soft, lush fur. Then I leap down again to let him get on first. He always has to drive. A hop, skip, and a jump later, we are all crouched down outside a largish house with vast windows most of the way around it. The horse, in her pocket-sized form, she learned that from me. She climbs down and cuddles into the nape of my neck. It tickles. So, we're going to stare into a house full of girls and young women. Nothing creepy about that. She neighs softly into my ear. Since when does creepy bother you, he asks. No bother, I admit, just asking. The largish house has two rooms, a big common one with a long, sturdy table, and a small one currently occupied only by a very elderly woman in a bed. The hubbub of the half a dozen girls to young women, all wearing white, is easily heard through the thin glass as they put the finishing touches on a large doll made of reeds and wheat. I'm giving her this so I'll get the best blessing, a tween proclaims, putting a small brooch on the doll's color. Careful now, the one most likely to be someone's mother, remarks. We don't want her thinking that we're selfish. All gifts are a tribute, no matter how large or small. Bridget will choose to bestow her gifts according to her perceptions, not ours. Two years ago, a tween spits, pointing at a tween with a pearl necklace. She got the best blessing, and she only made a drawing. Another snorts. That's probably why no one got it last year. The town doesn't deserve a goddess if the best we can do is a stupid drawing. Now, girls, that's no way to talk. A statue is not a blessing. Blessings are the things we give each other when we care, and we all get the blessings we need. Even if there's no statue this year, we are all still blessed. Like Grammy, a pearl necklace bearing tween scoffs. The blessing of weariness, pain, and incontinence. The mother winces. Tender her fireplace before we forget. She turns to the youngest, who's not tall enough to peer over the table. What are you going to put on Bridget? The little girl hands up a piece of old bread, making the mother smile. I'm sure she'll love it, she notes, kissing the girl on the forehead. Because the loaf we're giving her isn't enough, the bitter pearl bearer remarks. The little girl looks at the stale crumb on the doll's lap before touching the reedy arm. Check the fire, the maternal one says to Pearly, who does what she's asked. We want the food to be warm when we get back. Everyone in line. It's time to do the offering. The group stands in order from smallest to largest, the two eldest carrying the doll. 
a gruff man with a full beard and a countenance that straddles the border between delighted and exhaustion, throws open the door. It's time, lessies. The small parade leaves the house, singing and wandering through the village. Well, I say standing, I've learned a lot here tonight. What say we head home and have a proper dinner? Sit down. I sit, pulling out a carrot and feeding it to our horse, who grows to dog-sized and accommodation. When she's fed, she diminutizes as I get some bread and break it, offering him half with a bit of cheese. He puts it on his lap. I eat the rest. By the time the group in white returns, having left the doll in the small village square, I'm wrapping myself tightly in my cloak and wishing we would sneak into the old woman's to cuddle by the fire. We'd only be able to hear, he states, addressing my unspoken suggestion. What's to see, I answer. He picks at his cheese. Only four of the group return, the man, the motherly figure, and two of the girls, the tween and the wee one. The tween grabs some rushes and exits again, as do women of all ages, each from one of the houses. We duck further into the small forested grove as she circles the house three times and knocks on her own door, declaring herself the goddess. Her father lets her in. I imagine that if he'd forgotten that part, she would have just opened the door, but he lets her in. The mother puts something like seaweed mashed potatoes and bread on the table with a bowl of dumplings while I tear into our salted herring, saving half for him. I cuddle up a little. At this point, every bit of warmth matters. You know, I begin, we will wait outside, he answers. I curl up tighter as our horse grows a bit to snuggle up with me. The family sits down to dinner. Papa, the little girl says with eyes so wide, I picture her as a future con artist. I give the last of my dinner, so I'm going to get the best blessing. You're our blessing, he replies, mussing her hair. After they've cleaned up from dinner, they make a small doll, placing it in a basket and lighting candles around it. Then they soothe the ashes in the fireplace and put clothing just outside the door, one for each member of the household, even the old woman. Then they climb up the loft and snuggle into bed. I stand and brush myself off, inhaling to speak. Sit. Oh, come on. You go inside, not the main room. He hurriedly adds, with the old woman. He takes our miniature sleeping horse into his cloak. So I do. It is so warm in here. Fire is a miracle. I move to the dying flames, opening my cloak as the hot air billows in, reigniting my life. I hear someone moving around in the next room, but there's no chance I'm giving up heat. When my front is no longer frigid, I turn my back to the shrinking embers. And there is the goddess of prosperity, sitting by the old woman on the bed. She bends down and kisses the old woman on the forehead as the crone's arm goes slack and falls. She turns to me and puts her single finger in front of her lips, then winks, gesturing at me. I look stupid to avoid having to give an oath. She shakes her head as if scolding and points. I bow, offering my silent vow, and she leaves. I stay as another goddess this one of death, enters the room, bends down, and carries the smiling old woman out. The recently departed waves as they pass. I sit for another hour before he knocks gently on the window and beckons me out. I knew she didn't exist. As soon as the children went to bed, the parents came down and scored the ashes. He roars as soon as we're out of earshot. Nothing to worry about. Worry? Not so much worry as concern. Concern. When we sacked the village, I took this. He pulls a wee statue of the goddess from his cloak pocket as we complete our hop, skip, and jump home. 
It's a pale rock carving in a vaguely feminine shape. The cook said it was bad luck. Says the deity's likeness stolen is a curse. If Bridget were real, I would have returned it, but she's not. I think we should put it back. The look, just the look. I'll do it, I say, grabbing the small statue from his hand and leaping onto the horse too fast for him to object. I'll need to wait a season or two until the fallow field erupts with grain before I return. I arrive in the village a moment later and look at the house decorated with laundry, one outfit for each. Work attire for the industrious, a blue dress for the bitter, a tiny play suit for the innocent, but I put it on the last outfit, a threadbare dress for the dead. I know he thinks I stole it. I know he won't forgive me, but if I could tell him about it, I think he would approve. Once again, I had to mute myself so I didn't chuckle. I absolutely love your descriptions and and the humor and the reality of a family preparing for a sacred celebration in their various ways. Yeah, it was really, really beautiful. I loved the just the evening spent watching. And in the whole entirety of it, I love the way that something was left open. And two years later, is that when it happens, then that loop gets closed. And it makes me wonder what it would be like in the morning when they see that it's returned. Could we know what their reaction was? <laughs> what their reaction was? Yeah. I would think they'd have different reactions. So when I just look at what that scene would look like, I see the tween being really pissed that a dead person <laughs> got it. <laughs> and the little girl being disappointed because she thought she'd like trumped with her big eyes and batting them. And I, I think both the parents would actually feel really good about it. They would feel like that was the right choice. Mm. What was it like for you? Uh, it, I enjoyed it very much. It was oddly touching. I felt very touched by it. Yeah. yeah. It is very touching. I love the thread and concept of, of ceremony and custom that's maintained and followed without always knowing how it's received and yet the continuation is just as important as that result that one might be seeking i was really touched by that and really loved that and also my sense in it is that whatever place those daughters were in in that family be interesting to see where they are in a decade getting to be who they are in this celebration and this sacred moment, but nurtured in that environment, be lovely to see who they become. That is lovely. Yeah, that would be nice. And of course, I adored the horse. Yeah, I love the horse too. All of our stories had an interesting animal in them. I love the fire, the element of fire here as well. The consistency and the allure and the, the call of the fire. That's also what stood out for me here, really. It's such a big aspect of the cold is without that fire, where would we be? Okay. So grateful for it. I thought it was fascinating that we both put the Morrigan in it too. 
I did not know the Morrigan was the parent of Bridget. No idea. But I like that the Morrigan showed up in a couple of stories. Until I started looking to write this, I didn't know that either. Um, I was quite surprised and really felt the beauty of this family that you've described and um, the family in my story. And then, and then in your story, Gabriella, the, the man and the wolf for that night or for the, how many days afterwards becoming that family too. Very true. Yeah, they were all very much family stories how to create family. Yeah. One thing I always enjoy about your stories is you don't name people. You make us <laughs> try to figure it out. Yeah, I like that. I don't know if it's good, but I like it. <laughs> I always put on my thinking cap when I know I'm going to listen to your story. I'm like, okay, who's this going to be? Um, Oh, maybe that's why I do it. I love doing that and other things. When I know they're going to be, who is it? Like, I love playing guest to God. <laughs> right. Right. Well, another winner. So thank you. Thank you. I loved our stories together. I love that they were different. They were very different from each other, yet I feel like that they're very much connected by that fire. But there was the element of light and fire in all of them. That was, which really in book is about. Right. A fire of birth, creation, and illumination. And the promise of the deepening spring to come. Mm. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Thank you. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.